0: We, we're in our second week of our new series called Shadows. Now, anytime, listen to this, anytime you see a shadow, it is proof that there is light. Anytime you see a shadow, it is proof that there is light. So each week, what we are doing is we are looking at the shadows or the proofs that Jesus Christ is the light of the world. We're looking at all the proofs that he is that. Each week, what we're going to do is look at who Jesus is claiming to be, what he is claiming to do, and proofs that those things are true. So I'm going to start off with a claim right now. And that claim is that anytime someone says things are not the way they are supposed to be, that is proof that there is a God. How do you know that things are not the way they're supposed to be? How do you know that you are suffering? I'll tell you how you know. You know because you are made in the image of God, and to be made in the image of God is to be made for another world that God has created for you the world that you are made for, the world that you are longing for. And deep down, you know that it's true. And so you say, something is wrong. This week, the proof or the shadow is hope. You hope because there is a God and he has created you for another world. The same way that you hunger because there is such thing as food is the same way that you hope, except you're not experiencing all that you're hoping for because all that you hope for is going to be found in this other world that you are made for. So if there is a God, so now we say this, if there is a God and there is something wrong with the world, the question is why? Why? Why would God create a world like this? Let's go to the Bible to answer our questions. We're going to be in John 4, verses 27 through 45. It'll be up on the screen if you want to follow along. Just then, his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me everything that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you don't know about. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to him, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say, there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. Now, many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there for two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world." After the two days, he departed for Galilee, for Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his hometown. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. All right, verse 35 says that the fields are white for harvest. Here's what that means. It means the fields, the harvest is ready to be picked. Everything is ripe. It's ready. It's ready to be picked. It's ready to be taken. Here's what Jesus is saying. People are ripe for a new hope. They're searching for a new hope. Jesus is saying, look around at people. They are ready for something new. You, when you say the world is not the way that it is supposed to be, it is because you are ripe for a new hope. The person who has been captured in war is hoping for someone to come and rescue them because they are in a world that they aren't made for. They aren't made for prison. We are prisoners in a world that we are not made for, and we are hoping for someone to come and rescue us. We're ripe for this. So then you say, well, why is the world the way that it is? Why would God create it this way? It's his fault that things are this way, right? No. The Bible is actually gives us an answer for why things are the way that they are. And it's really the only logical conclusion. And here's what we find. We did it. It's known as the fall. So here's what happened. We brought death into the world. We brought chaos into the world. We brought decay into the world. In creation, God created perfect order. He brought order out of the chaos. So sin, here's what happens. In sin, things were spun back out of control into disorder, into breakdown, into decay, and into death. God created, and the world came alive. It sprouted. It danced even. And then in sin, the dancing ceased. The system, listen, the system became compromised, and it started spitting out death. So you can picture this room. Think of this room that's full of printers. And then something goes wrong in the computer system, and the printers just start spitting out all of this paper. Well, the same thing has happened. The same thing has happened in our world. It's spitting. The system became compromised, and so creation started spitting out something it never spit out before, death. We messed up the system. So now you say, well, this is just starting to sound like fairy tales and fishing stories. And I say, oh, yeah, well, why aren't you happy with the way things are going? Why are you scared? Deep down, why are you scared of death if you are just made for it? Why why does this world sicken you at times? See, if there is no God then who's to say something is wrong? It's just the way that it is. It's a random collection of particles that have come together that have just created us and we are now here. Why are you fighting death? It's your future forever if there is no God, if there is nothing after this. But deep down, you don't believe that's true. Every desire in you is revealing to you that there is a God and you are made for another world. So you are ripe for this new way of thinking. You are ripe for a new hope and you are ripe for a new world. Even in a culture that is growing increasingly skeptical to there being a God... Still, we are ripe for a new hope. I'll show you. John Mayer is going to be our proof. Okay? In his song, Waiting on the World to Change, here's what he says. Now, we see everything that's wrong with the world and those who lead it. We just feel like we don't have the means to rise above and beat it, so we keep waiting, waiting on the world to change. Now, if we had the power... To bring our neighbors home from war, they would never miss a Christmas. No more ribbons on the door, that's why we're waiting, waiting on the world to change. Now, he's a voice for the people, that's why people like the song. This song is screaming out that there is something wrong in the world. But look what he's doing. He's pointing his finger at all the bad people, saying, here's the problem of the world. And then what is the hope at the end of the song? Here's what he says. One day, our generation is going to rule the population. Essentially saying that finally, once we're ruling the population, we're going to fix the problem. He's being a voice for people who are mad at the system that's spitting out chaos and death. And he's saying, the hope is you and me. Now, here's the problem with what he just said. Every generation says, every generation looks down at the generation before them and vice versa. But no generation has actually fixed the problems of the world. They're just continuing. It's just a cycle over and over and over again. We have to stop looking at ourselves as the hope and start looking for a new hope. We have to stop pointing to ourselves as the solution because it's obviously not working. I mean, you look at how angry people got at the election this year. We're more polarized than we've probably ever been. I'm going to tell you this. No president is going to be able to deliver the hope that you are longing for. You're ripe for a new hope. I know you are. I know that you are ripe for a new hope. Some of you have lost your children and you're reaching for a hope. Some of you have lost a spouse and you're reaching for a hope. Some of you are in the midst of a divorce you don't want to be in, and so you're reaching for a hope or a broken relationship. Some of you have been hurt by your parents. Some of you have been hurt deeply by friends, and you're kind of just giving up on having good friends. You feel like it's not going to happen. And some of you are struggling with depression, and you're reaching for something real, some real hope that you can grab onto. Some of you are looking around at what's going on in the world, you're looking at what's happening in Syria, heard something just happened in Egypt, and you're just pissed, or you just want to puke, or you're in tears. You know, something that I've seen is there's really two responses that people have to suffering. Probably not just two, but something I've observed is that when someone is in the midst of suffering, they're always reaching for a hope. And they might be angry at God, but they're still reaching for him in a way. And there's another type of person who isn't suffering, but they're observing suffering and they see people around them suffering. And they say this a lot of times, how could there be a God? Look at what is happening. How could we say that there is God when I see all of this stuff? Now, I want to say this. When you walk through suffering or you become very aware that the world is not the way that it's supposed to be, it's going to either make your faith or it's going to break it. In fact, when you're in the midst of suffering and when you're, in a, when you're experiencing life in a world that you aren't made for, it's going to either bring you closer to God or it's going to bring you further away from him. Mm-hmm. Suffering will shape our faith more than we realize. It all depends on if you have really captured the hope that this woman has captured in the story. She says to her friends, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. She says, could this be the Christ? Now, do you know what the Christ is? The Christ is the one who has come to make everything the way it's supposed to be. She's saying, I've found him. And she says to her friends, come, let's go, come. I think I found him, come and see. And so they come running and they see and they say, yes, it is him. We have found him. He is the hope of the world. He is here. She's inviting her friends to come see a man, a person, a God become man. This is is where Christianity is different than absolutely every other religion. So Buddha would say, it's not about him. Follow his eightfold path to enlightenment. Muhammad would say, it's not about him. Follow the five pillars of Islam. Jesus comes on the scene and he says, it's all about me. I am the hope. Now that sounds arrogant unless it's true. He says, put your hope in me, not in a path, but in me, a person. And here's the interesting thing. Every other religion says the same thing that John Mayer is saying. You yourself are the hope. Every other religion says, here's a list of rules that you've got to follow, or here's some steps to follow. Now go and do the work. Work hard. You can do it. It's up to you. And Christianity is saying, you will never be able to achieve the world that you long for. It's out of your reach. In fact, Christianity is saying, remember, we are the cause of of the world being the way that it is. John Mayer's solution is the very creation of the problem. I don't mean to pick on John Mayer. I think he's a great guitar player, okay? I'm just, I'm just saying. Um, it's this, but, but here's the thing. It will be this, if we do what he's saying, it's going to be the same cycle over and over and over again. And here's then what's going to happen. Eventually, John Mayer's generation, which is my generation, is going to get to power, And the generation after us is going to look at us and they're going to say, gosh, John Mayer is really ruining the world. (laughs) I mean, he broke up with Taylor Swift. (laughs) He broke her heart and now he's breaking mine. (laughs) Christianity is saying, stop pointing at other people as being part of the problem, because if you do, that pride is going to cause you to always make yourself the solution. Jesus comes on the scene and he's very honest with us. And he said, The fall was from humanity. But he says, But I am the hope of the world. I've come as the rescuer. Christianity is saying he is the way, he's the hope, and he's the true hero. Every great story that you look at has a few common elements. You know, it goes like this here's a few examples. everything is, we live in this great world, and then something goes wrong. And we wait for a hero to rise up out of the ashes to save the day. Or we're oppressed by this evil power, and we're powerless over this evil power, but then finally a new hope comes to free us from this evil. Or there's this princess stuck in the castle waiting for her prince to finally come and rescue her and slay the dragon. Now, why do we like those stories? Because they are stories about us and the new hope coming to rescue us. Listen, watch this. Your world is ruined. You live in a world that you aren't made for, but Christ the hero comes up out of the ashes to be the real hope. You are powerless, just like John Mayer said. And instead of hoping in yourself to one day gain power, there's a hero coming from outside of this world to come into the broken world to rescue us up out of the broken world. Or there's a, we're like the princess in the castle. We're stuck in this prison of sin, and Christ comes to free us from this prison of sin that we are in. You say, okay, well, again, this is sounding like fairy tales. And I say, no. The grandest, greatest story is the story of God coming into the world to rescue us and be our great hope. And every single other story is just a shadow of this great grand story. They're shadows. They're pointing you to a greater story. That's why we love those stories. See, here's what, listen, there's faith and there is doubt. And right in the middle of that is hope. And you look at this woman in the story and she comes and she meets Jesus and she starts having this hope in him. She says, no, this couldn't be true. And she starts having hope. She says, I wish this was true. I hope it's true. And she starts becoming more and more assured that he really is the hope of the world. Some of you have come into the grove and you've doubted Christianity, but you're starting to think, man, I wish this was true. And then you're starting to say, I hope it's true. And every single step you make, you're having more and more assurance of what you're hoping for. You know what faith is? Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. So you're standing between faith and doubt and you've got hope right there in the middle and you're making steps forward. And every time you make a step forward, you're becoming more and more assured that this is true. Here's how you do that. Just keep reminding yourself that he is the hope of the world and then you will become more and more assured that it is true. I didn't hear what you said, Joe, but it sounded cool. Okay. Do you want to be okay? Here's the question now. What is the sign of someone that's becoming more and more sure that they have found this new hope? What's the sign? They are pointing others to the new hope. They're saying he's right over here. This woman she immediately leaves. She has this water. The whole reason she's at the well is because she's getting water. She leaves the water behind, indicating she's going to come back. She's going to get her friends to get them to come back. She wants to introduce them to him. And so she goes, I think we found the hope. And Here's the thing. When you have found the new hope, you start to be able to recognize when other people are ripe to hear about the new hope. There's a lot of talk about how evangelism shouldn't be done. People say you need to keep your beliefs to yourself. Keep them in private. Do you know that when someone has really found the new hope, they can't help but point people to the new hope? The word evangel means good news. Evangelism simply means telling people good news. If you had the cure for cancer and you found it, you said, I got the cure for cancer, but you kept the rules about you're not supposed to evangelize people. You're not supposed to tell them good news. Well, that would mean you have the cure for cancer and you tell nobody. That would be an incredibly rude thing to do. If you had a friend with cancer and you knew The cure for cancer, you would say, I have good news for you. I know the cure for cancer. Has evangelism been done in some horrible ways? Yes. Absolutely. But that doesn't mean it shouldn't be done. I'm not, by the way, I'm not saying go to the street corner after this and start, like, grab a megaphone. Don't do that. Um, But I I do want to say this. People who say you should keep your beliefs private are telling you their own beliefs. They're violating the very thing that they're telling you not to do. To say don't evangelize is for someone to evangelize that they think you shouldn't evangelize. The argument crumbles in on itself. They can't say that. Intellectually, they can't say what they're saying. It doesn't make any sense. This woman's evangelism is simple. She says, come and meet a man. Could he be the savior of the world? She's inviting. And notice she does it in a community of people. Jesus is there with his disciples, and she goes and get her friends, and she brings them back to introduce them to him. It's it's an environment of discovery. So in my experience, people usually come to the new hope through relationships, through a variety of relationships in a community of people who are discovering Christ together, and they're learning how to follow him together, and they're asking questions, and they're, they're, they're learning from each other what it means to follow Jesus, who he is, what he's done, what it means for us. Do you want to tell people about the new hope? You're scared you don't have the answers. It's just about inviting people into a community of people who are learning together what it means to follow Jesus, who have discovered that he's the new hope or are trying to figure out, hey, they they need something to cling to. What is the new hope that this, this church has? And they're figuring it out together. By the way, if you don't think that the church is relevant Try pointing someone to the new hope on your own. Most likely you're going to fall flat on your face because discovering Christ is meant to be done in a community of people, not in isolation. So now the question is, do you want to meet him? And do you want to be someone who can point people to the new hope? The first thing, That you have to understand is what Jesus means when he says, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and accomplish his work. There's a place in the movie The Lord of the Rings, Return of the King, where the future king says this I will give hope even when I have none. And that's exactly what Jesus does, he gives us hope by entering into hopelessness. There's a place right before Jesus is arrested. He's praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. And here's what he prays. He prays to the Father, Father, let this cup pass from me, but your will be done. What is the cup? The cup represents hope. Hopelessness. It represents death. The one who drinks the cup enters into complete and eternal hopelessness. And so he says, Father, let this cup pass from me, but your will be done. I want to be careful the way I say this, but he's scared in a sinless way. What we are confronted with right here is the humanity. Of Christ on full display. He's 100% God, 100% man, all at the same time. And here we see his humanity. He feels, this is what he feels. Listen, he feels the temptation to leave the world the way that it is and to give up on us. He feels that temptation. This is, this is what he felt in the garden. He felt what the cross was going to be like what it would bring upon him. He knew the dark matter of hopelessness that he was about to enter into on the cross. So here's what he did. Here's what happened to him. He actually started sweating blood. This is an actual thing that people can do. If someone is under enough stress, they'll actually start sweating blood and he starts doing it because he knows what's coming to him if he's gonna really be our hope. When they called him savior of the world, he knew what it was going to put him through to be the savior of the world. So on the cross, he felt eternal hopelessness. He drank the cup of hopelessness, the cup of cosmic loss, the greatest tragedy the world has ever known. Yet while it's the greatest tragedy the world has ever known, it's at the same time our greatest hope. And here's why. Because he can do what none of us can do. He can enter into eternal hopelessness and break out of it. His entering into hopelessness is our great hope. If he lives through it, he does. That's the claim of Christianity. If the resurrection didn't happen, we are the most to be pitied. But if it has, we have the greatest hope that the world will ever know. And here's what it means for you right now. Even though you are passing through a world that you are not made for, that at times feels hopeless, it's just a shadow that you are passing by. It's only temporary. It's not forever. On the other side of it all is a world that we dreamed for. And in this new world that we are made for, the word hope isn't even in the vocabulary. There's no need for the, world, for the word. There's, the word hope isn't there because we have everything that we have hoped for in our hands. There's nothing else we could hope for, so the word gets retired. It's not needed. Set your imagination upon that world and you will become a person of great hope who's connecting others to that great hope, who is Jesus Christ, who has risen up out of the hopelessness. Without a personal God coming into the world, in the end, death wins. But he has come for us, he has died for us, And he has risen up out of hopelessness. He broke through it. So let's go hope in him. Let me pray. God, we want to believe. We want to hope. And we want more assurance of what is hoped for. God, teach us to start wishing it was true and then hoping it's true and then become more and more assured that it is true. God, you know our needs, you know our wants, and you promise us that all those needs and wants could be satisfied in you. So help us to hold on to you as our great hope.